2020, which we've announced, and it's on our, we have a Facebook page out there, Tiny Houses Across the World, where we're going to be doing live events on one weekend here in the United States. And we're um, working on teams for Australia, Thailand, and um, Europe. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. And today, I want to introduce you to John and Finn Kernahan. They met in London and fell in love while renting a canal boat, which is essentially a floating tiny house. After paring down her extensive shoe collection, John and Finn decided to move to the U.S. and live in a 300-square-foot tiny shed conversion that they completed themselves. The story could end there, but John and Finn were just getting started. After seeing the need for some kind of event where people could come and see tiny houses in person and have some fun, they planned the Georgia Tiny House Festival. They expected about 200 people to show up. 5,000 people arrived along with a school bus, a van conversion, 17 tiny houses, and a yurt. In this interview, we'll peek inside the minds of John and Finn Kernahan and hear about the mindset that they share that helped this power couple achieve so many successful events in such a short amount of time. We'll also learn about what the future has in store for tiny house festivals across America and the globe. But first, I'd like to tell you about Tiny House Decisions. Are you looking for the ultimate guide to planning your tiny house? Check out my comprehensive resource, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three different packages to help you get a jump start. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars with Tiny House Decisions. Learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. All right. John and Finn Kernahan founded the United Tiny House Association, which has organized eight four-charity tiny house festivals, including the world's three largest tiny house events. They have been living for six and a half years in their DIY off-grid 304-square-foot beloved cabin. They also own the famous Tiny Firehouse, which is their tribute to Tiny House, I'm sorry, which is their tribute Tiny House honoring firefighters, plus a yurt, a gypsy wagon, and a schoolie. John and Finn Kernahan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for doing this. So I was curious if you could kind of tell us your story. What brought you to Tiny House Living? And, you know, like so many people who hear about Tiny House Living but never do anything, what inspired you to, to take the leap and go with a 304-square-foot cabin? So when I met Finn, um, gosh, 10 years ago, a long time ago, she was living in London and I was living in, um, down in, uh, South Miami and why we, uh, and, and I had the luxury of being able to travel and do whatever I wanted. Um, uh, so, so I would spend months at a time over in London, um, over there with her. And while we were there, we rented what's called a canal boat, um, the, the um, they're also called narrow boats. And so we lived on one 
And um, we realized, well, I realized, because Finn was very accustomed and comfortable and enjoying living tiny. Um, she, she was living in London and, bare, and living somewhat of a minimalist lifestyle, um, except for her shoes. Um, and hey, uh, <laughs> my shoe alone. <laughs> the lady had more shoes than anybody ever knew. Um, and so we were on this uh, canal boat and we loved it. Um, we fell in love with um, each other. Um, we fell in love with um, being in close proximity. And we love being able to just move from town to town in this canal boat and just, you know, hey, tonight we're going to live out in the middle of the woods on the side of the bank of one of the canals. And then days later, we're going to pull into a little village, a little um, town or something. And we're going to hang out there and we're going to make friends with the locals. And we did. We had make we had meet people. We had go drinking with them. Well, I did all the drinking. Finn just did all the laughing. But we loved it. So we kind of didn't think about it after that. But then when we got married, we debated between living in, you know, moving to Thailand, living in London or in the UK or living in the States. And we decided to live here in the United States. And Finn was never a big fan of my big house in Miami. She just didn't like it. It was very sterile, um, you know, 2,500 square foot house with a 900 square foot apartment connected to the back, me and my dog, typical. Just make it short. I just don't like cleaning. Yeah. So <laughs> the, more, the more of the house, I mean, the more I have to clean. So I'm not a big fan of cleaning. So, you know, the smallest I could go, I would be the smallest, the, the merrier. What do you care? Yeah. How you say that? And, in fact, the very first time Finn came to the U.S. when we were dating or, or came to my house, she made the observation, um, something like, um, you know, I don't know where this relationship is going. And I'm like, whoa, back down, girl, you know, you know <laughs> relationship, you know, we're, you know, we're just dating. Um, and uh, she said, but I'm not cleaning this place. And um, and I made the joke. I said, well, I'll hire a housekeeper. Ha ha ha. And then she said, um, well, you don't hire people to clean your mess. You take care of your own messes. Um, and she meant that like as a double edged sword, both philosophically and the fact of somebody cleaning your house. And I then made this um, sarcastic, egotistic joke of um, and I guess now in reflection, I guess it was some kind of almost chauvinistic, like you were going to clean the house. Um, I said, well, I guess we'll live in a dirty house. Ha ha ha. And then Finn said, maybe you should consider selling this and, or getting rid of this and getting something smaller. And without knowing it, she planted the seed of our tiny lifestyle because year, then about a year later, Finn made the observation that I was the most happiest, um, when we were up in Georgia in the woods. And she said, um, you should, you know, we should move to Georgia. You know, you should live in the woods. And I was like, well, my home's here in Miami. And Finn's observation was, you have house in Miami. You don't have a home. You know, it's time you have a home. So then we decided to move to Georgia. And then once again, Finn, uh, because of my health, and uh, uh, she felt, and just because I was going through a big metamorphosis in myself uh, when we met, you know, in, in both physically and spiritually and my mindset about life in general, she felt it was important that we built our house. She thought that would be good for me to actively build our house instead of hiring an architect and 
construction company to build it. And I had my mindset like, a tw- you know, I thought living small in the Georgia woods was going to be like a 1200 square foot cabin. And once again, Finn stepped in and she was like, no, I was thinking like something small. And she was talking under 500 square foot. And that's how it happened. We did what we did. Um, we purchased a shell. We did what's called a shed conversion. And um, back when I remember the first time we posted a comment on Facebook about us doing a shed conversion, people like ripped me to pieces. You know, you know, that's terrible. That's a bad idea. You're going to get black mold. Those houses aren't stable. There were all this stuff. And the reality was it was a bit, it, it, it is here. We are six and a half years later in this non black mold, beautiful, secure, gorgeous home that's um, lasted through two tornadoes without a glitch. But that, that's how we got into it. We, we did this and we just started um, seeing about tiny houses. Oh, in fact, we didn't even know that they made tiny houses on wheels. This is a really funny story. This is how we really got into the tiny house um, community. We were told that our house, um, we didn't know who Steve Harrow was. We didn't know what tiny house listings was. And Steve knows this story. It's, it's a really funny story. We thank Steve Harrell's tiny house listings for us to get into the tiny house community. Somebody took pictures of our house off of uh, Facebook. Wow. And they, they made a fake account on tiny house listings. And they had like four or five houses listed out there um, that weren't theirs, uh, apparently. And one of them was ours. And they were saying they were selling it. And then we found out about this. That account got shut down. As far as we know, nothing negative happened to any person, or at least not that we're aware of. Nothing negative happened to us. But when we went out there, our instant reaction, I was like, son of a mother, this and <laughs> this guy's, who is this? And then I was, then we were like, oh my God, they build these things on wheels. Um, so we were like, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we put this thing on wheels? Why did we make it on a foundation? And um then we really started getting involved in, we started searching the, these wow. tiny house on trailers. I think this was our first, or, or no, houses on trailers, I think was our first Google search. And then we started figuring out, and then on Facebook, I think our first Facebook group we joined was Macy Miller's Tiny House People. Tiny House People, yeah. Yeah, I think that was our very first one. Oh, and that was the one I got slammed on when I said... Um, we, um, we, you know, we, we, we took a such and such, you know, manufactured um, shell, uh, lofted barn shed, and we converted it. And then um, a couple of people just, you know, you know how people can be. They were just unmerciful, you know. Just, and so, yeah, so we became wallflowers for about a year. We got real quiet and we just observed and we just listened. And then we... Um, uh, and we started joining more groups and we just kept, li- and then we started realizing we had stuff we could share. Um, you know, we, we realized that our trial and errors of going off grid and doing the build ourselves, other than the shell, cutting holes in walls and putting in windows and wiring and insulation and, and getting inspect and getting things inspected, you know, and yeah. So are you, are you like legal and inspected in the 300 square foot cabin or are you kind of living off under the radar? So what we did was this, I was shocked that we owned land 
and I couldn't legally build a tiny house on it. Because I like to do things legally. Uh, in fact, people have talked to you about it. I like to do things the way they should be. So what we did was, is we leased a timber track, a hunting property. And legally on a hunting property, um, as long as the owner's okay, you can put any non-permanent structure you want there because you're not a permanent resident on that land. You're there leasing it for hunting seasons. Even if you decide to stay there, and again, it's up to the landowner, even if you decide to stay there for 12 months out of the year, as long as you don't build anything permanent, you can bring in trailers and sheds and, you know, you can do all this stuff. So we built our tiny house, lived in a 29 and a half foot travel trailer that I had for hunting anyway, that I always took to hunting camps and stuff. So we lived in our 20, in my, in our 29 foot um, uh, travel trailer, did the build on the house. Then once it was all done, we had the house lifted and we bought, brought it to a piece of property where we're at now. We bought this land where we're at now. We bought a, a three-acre track, and we bought it for nothing. We bought it for $5,000. Wow. And the reason was it was landlocked. To put a driveway to it, because it's set so far back in the woods off the main blacktop, by this thin 20-foot-long 800-yard piece of land, you know, strip, and then it opens up way back in the woods um, to, the, to the remainder of the three-and-a-half acres. We bought it for nothing, but to put a driveway in and because of the grade and the steep and it went over a natural spring and a creek that feeds the lake. So the Army Corps of Engineers stepped in, you know, we, we checked it all out. It was going to cost 20 some thousand dollars to put a driveway in. We bought this piece of land because right beside it was another piece of land that had a 2000 square foot house on it and a driveway. So we went to that landowner and we said, we'll lease your driveway because it sat basically empty almost all the year, uh, that, that property. We'll lease this driveway for $250 a year and we'll maintain it. And they said, yeah, sure. They were a young couple. They needed money. They were like, great, cool, cool. We'll, we'll do that. So now we had a way to get onto our property. And the rules in our county was that you could bring in a manufactured structure as long as it didn't cost over $700 to do it. It's a strange rule. Yeah, exactly. So, because you can't bring in manufactured homes for under $700. So, you know, it cost a lot. So what we did was the company that we had um, pick up and lift our, our, our cabin and bring it the 84 miles from the hunt and lease property to this property coincidentally, on paper, they charged us $699. Wink, wink, hint, hint, quotation marks. So now we legally brought the, the house into the property and set it down. Then the house next door, we already had an idea that that land was going to be sold. And we just waited. And sure enough, it went on the market. And they were so desperate and, and really had no interest to have that property anymore. The one with the driveway. The one with the driveway in the 2,000 square foot house. Right. We picked that up for literally nothing. And then our cabin is considered an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit. 
to the 2,000 square foot house. So now legally, we're able to have the cabin here as an ADU because just moving it to the other to that property of the 2,000 square foot house. And then um, the 2,000 square foot house is um, basically we use it for storage for our tiny house festivals. We got like all of our gear, equipment, distribution panels, canopies, tables, chairs. We use that 2,000 square foot house for storage for our tiny house festivals. And when we have people come and stay with us, um, we've had people follow us from the tiny house festivals like um, uh, Dixie, uh, you know, with Array of Light, the fire performing folks. Um, she and her brother came and stayed with us uh, for about six months and uh, helped us with um, doing work out on the land here and, and cleaning things up. And then also they helped us um, build the uh, tiny firehouse, our tiny firehouse. Um, my mom and dad, when they've come, we let, you know, they, they don't like the ti our tiny cabin. They, it's too small, et cetera. Um, they, um, they, they'll stay over in that 2000 square foot house. Um, just, you know, the bedrooms aren't all available. We just have one room that they can use because of all the storage and everything. Um, we've had holiday parties in there when we have people come out from the tiny house community. We use the living room and kitchen in there. Uh, for like a gathering social area and, you know, et cetera. So um, we take advantage of that house, but it's. And not... that's just about to change because we're going to rent it out. Yeah. So and now we're getting ready income. to turn that that house into a rental property um, for, you know, just to rent it out to people. I love the creativity in this whole story. You know, I don't know about you, but I definitely hear from people a lot who basically write an email that says, I live in such and such place. How can I have a tiny house legally here? Please tell me, you know, like, please tell me exactly how to do this and hand it to me. And the the story of the tiny house movement is really of creativity and figuring out a way to not break the law, but to kind of work your way in and figure out a way to fit in when there is no law that specifically says what a tiny house is or whether you can live in one. And so I... I love that story of how you just made it happen. That's a great segue into talking about the festivals because I kept hearing about them. Oh my God, there's this guy, John and Finn, and they're throwing these epic, huge, tiny house festivals. So, <laughs> and I was like, well, I want to get in on that. So for, for those who have never been to one of the festivals, what are they all about? Like, what's it like being at them? What's the, what's the idea Sure. Well, what happened was, was this it, on or around August, around August 2015, the Jamboree just finished the National Jamboree just finished their first tiny house festival. And and it was the first time. And keep in mind, Finn and I were nobodies in the tiny house movement. We were babes in the woods. We were just doing our thing here in the woods, living legally off grid, having a good old time. But I kept making the observation to Finn like three or four, two or three times. Why doesn't anybody do something like that over here on this side of the country? Because the only thing we were seeing were these um, how-to weekend builds or, or events, you know, $199, $299 hands-on build type things, which are awesome. And there's nothing at all wrong with those. And they're fantastic. They're great. Um, but we had already built our house and we were living in it. And I know what would happen if we went to one of those. I would sit there condemning myself because I realized I did it wrong. And or I would sit there in my head thinking, oh, I'd never do it that way. 
I would be one of those guys. And um, right. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be meant for you because you already had your house built. Exactly. So so Finn, like the third time I said, I wish or why doesn't somebody do something like that over here? Finn basically said in no uncertain terms, either do one yourself or quit complaining about it. It, it, She, you know, I'm really paraphrasing it, but that's basically the message she gave me. So we, we launched what was called the Lake Oconee tiny house jamboree. Then we realized we didn't want to use the name jamboree because, you know, that name was already used. Um, and, uh, we, we didn't want to look like Johnny come lately's and, and copycats. And then we realized by saying Lake Oconee, we were limiting ourselves. So we called it the Georgia Tiny House Festival. And we thought it was going to be a one hit, or not even a hit. We, we thought it was going to be a one-time event, call it a day. We did it. I got it out of my system. Um, so we announced it. Uh, we were going to do it on a hunting property of mine, um, uh, this 91-acre uh, hunting track. And then I decided... Um, through Facebook, we had like about 200 people who said they wanted to come or were interested. And we didn't think it was, I mean, to us, 200 people was a lot of people. We thought we were going to have like two or three houses, um, burgers, barbecue and beer, and maybe discussing how to build a safe ladder into your loft. I mean, that was it. I mean, we we had no plan at all what we were going to do. We just thought we had to get some tiny houses together and just have a weekend of partying with like, with like, you know, selfish motivation. Yeah, maybe we can see like three of these tiny house on wheels because we still hadn't seen a tiny house on wheel yet. Um, so we did this and then we realized after about 200 people on Facebook were interested or wanting to come, we decided we didn't want 200 people using our composting toilet. So um, we decided to rent a porta potty and all of a sudden we had an event. Um, we realized we couldn't have it on the hunting track because logistics of getting people in there, parking. We realized we were going to need to have electricity now. Um, we realized, oh, we're going to have to feed these people somehow. Um, we realized we need, oh, and then um, and then Carrie Cooper, your girl out of uh, New Jersey, she contacted us out of the blue. We, we, we didn't know who Carrie was. And she wanted to know if she could be a speaker at our event. And we were like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's have, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's back up. Let's back up on the Carrie Cooper story. This is even more awesome. I get off the phone with talking with this lady who identified herself as Yurt Girl out of New Jersey. <laughs> and I said to Finn, hey, some yogurt concession company wants to come down from New Jersey to sell yogurt at our event. And Finn was like, what do you mean? And I said, she says her name is Yogurt Girl. And she has a, you know, she wants to bring her yogurt stand or something, her yogurt thing to our event. I didn't know what a yurt was. Um, I mean, this is how ignorant we were when we started this thing. Um, we didn't know there was a playbook for tiny house festivals. Um, and then Carrie sent us an email about a week later and Finn wasn't buying into it. She's like, why would a yogurt concession come all the way down from New Jersey? And I was like, maybe because they like tiny houses. I don't know, babe. She contacted us. You know, I'm telling you what she said. Well, then we realized, oh, this is one of those round tents the Mongolians and Afghani nomads on National Geographic Channel live in. Cool. Great. Okay, great. We're going to have this. 
So then we reached back to her and she started talking about she can do a workshop. And that's when we realized, oh, yeah, I guess maybe we should have people talking at this thing. So when the dust settled, we had 19 structures. We had um, a school bus, a van conversion, 17 tiny houses, and Carrie Cooper's yurt. And we had just over 5,000 people come out. And there was a net profit from the whole event. And keep in mind, we didn't keep any of this money. We, we let the um, venue operator and all the companies in town and everybody who was involved keep everything. But there was a net profit of 42 grand that the, uh, went directly to the president, no, the chairman of the local chamber of commerce for whatever it is they do or he did. Wow. Uh, and so... That's when we realized we had something because then we started getting all these calls from um, people around the United States. Uh, and when I say all these calls, we were getting a lot of calls. Um, boat dealers, RV dealers, campgrounds, some builders. And everybody wanted us to bring our tiny house to them, uh, uh, event to them. But they were looking at it from a business standpoint. Their, their model was to make money. And we didn't do it for money. And so we thought, hey, maybe we could do this and try to do something good. And so we were like, we didn't do this for money. So maybe we could do something here for like a charity or something. Or, or, and we were thinking at first, a one hit, uh, like a one charity per event. But then Shorty Robbins, who's um, on our board and part of our team, Shorty Robbins, who owns the Victorian tiny house, um, um, historic uh, um, uh, themed house, uh, the Nawaka Victoria house. She reached out to us and said, Hey, what do you think about bringing this to Florida, to the St. Augustine, um, you know, Northeast Florida coast area? We talked about our ideas about wanting to make the festivals a philanthropy uh, motivated project. She was totally on board. And then that's when it all hit the proverbial fan. We had our first Florida Tiny House Festival um, and our second event in 2016. We thought we were going to have 5,000 people again, maybe 10,000, maybe. We had a meeting the week before the event, and I was like, okay, this thing is growing into a monster. It's out of control. We had 97 houses registered, which was like bigger than the Jamboree, um, bigger than anything. <laughs> and we realized we were going to have maybe 20 or 30,000 people at this event. So we were like banging away, like getting ready for this monster to hit St. Augustine. And we ended up having over 60,000 people at that event. And it was crazy. And we learned a very valuable lesson at that event. <laughs> Always plan for the unexpected. And even though if we're projecting a certain low number, to always plan for bigger numbers. And that's how it all happened. And ever since then, we've been going at it. Um, to get back to your original question, what's at our events? We believe since we're calling them festivals, we have to keep the F in festival for fun. Ours are, ours are getting more known as much as being a tiny house event as a music event. Uh, in, in fact, um, you know, sometimes we have multiple stages for music. 
you know, we have fire performers. Um, gosh, at our DC event, we had the Guinness Book of World Record holder uh, balloon guy who um, has the Guinness Book of World Records of um, the largest balloon creation. Well, they are quite a bit of fun. And um, so I definitely recommend if you're listening to this, you know, find a tiny house festival near you. And it seems like each festival kind of has some new surprise or idea. This summer, there were simultaneous tiny house festivals on the East Coast, the Midwest and the West Coast. So I was curious, what what is in store for for some upcoming events? Can you share with us any any cool new things that are going to happen? Sure. Well, uh, what you're referring to there was what we called tiny houses across America. Um, I like to watch old classic rock on YouTube a lot and listen to it and um, and and teach then the finer arts of music. Um, so um, I don't have to listen to Justin Bieber saying, baby, 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 ooh, she can listen to Van Halen singing Panama. But um, anyhow, um, I was watching Live Aid. Um, uh, Freddie Mercury and Queen singing Radio Gaga at Live Aid uh, back in the 80s. And I just started thinking about how Phil Collins went from England and then to the United States for Live Aid and how that was such a big deal. And the next day I said to Finn, I want to do an event here in the United States and overseas the same weekend. And I want to simulcast it. And then we started talking about it and we realized, well, that might be a big fish to chew. Let's start off here in the United States. So at our New Jersey Tiny House Festival last year, Father's Day weekend last year, we announced that we were going to do a nationwide event. We didn't have a name for it, but we, we said we're going to do a nationwide event, um, two um, events, same weekend, and we were going to simulcast it. We didn't know how we were going to do it. We were just going to do it. Then in our Tennessee event last year in September, I presented it as if this is going to happen. It's locked in. We're going to do this. And that's when Finn and Shorty and I decided, well, now that you shot your mouth off, we need to make this happen, Um, which goes back to my original thing. Finn and I have this thing where we just go for it and we make it happen. And, you know, and if it doesn't work, we just come up with a new plan. So. Um, and for our first time out, we thought instead of stretching our resources real thin, we would get somebody else involved for year one who has a successful tiny house uh, event under their belt. So we reached out to Renee McLaughlin, who did the, uh, tiny, she did the tiny fest in Iowa last year. And lo and behold, she was moving to California. So it was perfect. We're going to do one in DC area. You're going to be in California. We got it. East Coast, West Coast. Then Renee came back and said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the conversation was like, you know, I was going to be doing another one in the Midwest. What do you think about us doing three of them the same weekend? And I said, yep, let's do it. So that's what we did. We um, uh, Renee uh, uh, managed and was totally in charge of her baby, uh, Tiny Fest, California. Uh Uh-huh. Um, her associate Melody, uh, she was in charge and did her baby, um, the, uh, uh, tiny, uh, Midwest, tiny fest Midwest, um, just outside of Omaha in Bellevue, Nebraska. And then we did the, uh, DC, Virginia, and this was all this last father's day weekend. And then Alexis 
um, and Christian with Tiny House Expedition, who have been a major resource and part of our Tiny House Festival team for a very long time. They have been working the kinks through our Tiny House Festival, especially our last one, our Georgia Tiny House Festival, in this whole simultaneous live Facebook, live YouTube at the same time. There's like software and stuff involved. And to be able to do stuff back and forth between the three events. And they coordinated with um, Renee's video team in California and Melody's video team in, in, in uh, Nebraska. And that's what we did. So we did this thing on Father's Day weekend where we had like 30 some live video things that were going on that are on our YouTube channel, United Tiny Houses um, Association's YouTube channel. They're, they're all out there now still. And it worked. I mean, other than some weak internet signals that happened at one or two, you know, other, other than like something out of everybody's control, um, like there's like 32 live broadcasts that happened between the three days of the three events and three different time zones. It was awesome. So now we're going to do it again next year. Nice. We're going to do um, just two events, though. We're going to do an East Coast and West Coast. Um, we're going to either do West Coast is going to be the San Francisco Bay Area or the Portland, Oregon area. Um, our team, Shorty, Finn, and I are going around and about. We're trying to figure what the best, believe it or not, the decision is going to be based upon the best charity out there to, to be our, we always have a primary charity per event. And we're, we're kind of deliberating, you know, Finn and I got this cool charity in the San Francisco Bay Area we like. Shorty got this really awesome charity, like unbelievably awesome charity in Portland, Oregon area. So we're kind of deliberating between ourselves which, what we're going to do here on that one. But it'll, um, with that, it's not carved in stone, but it'll probably be uh, Portland, Oregon and or, or, or San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and then we'll do and then over here on the uh, East Coast. And then that's our last training field for 2020, 2020, which we've announced and it's on our, we have a Facebook page out there, tiny houses across the world, where we're going to be doing live events on one weekend here in the United States. And we're um, working on teams for Australia, Thailand, and um, Europe, and doing a live thing between three or four countries outside of the United States the same weekend. That's so awesome. Yeah, and that's what tiny. So, so we used our local tiny house festivals, state festivals, to prepare for tiny house across America, and now we're using tiny house across America to get things perfected for tiny houses across the world. Um, things that are coming up, um, we um, are, you know, we have our uh, big mass um, tiny house festival coming up in Marshfield, Massachusetts, the last weekend of September, which is really cool. We're calling it the fourth annual big mass tiny house festival because we're partnered and collaborating with um miranda's hearth which is a nonprofit up there in marshfield um which has done the three over the course of the past four years um the big tiny house festival and so we merged together and just rebranded it as the big mass tiny house festival but we're calling it the fourth annual because it's uh, the Miranda's Hearts, um, you know, they, they did the first three there. And um, it's right there, about 20 minutes from Plymouth Rock. Um, so it's going to be really cool. We're going to have a lot of fun there. Um, and then our big mothership in November, the weekend before Thanksgiving, is our third annual Florida event, 
but we've renamed it this year. Instead of just simply being called the Florida Tiny House Festival, uh, we've renamed it the third annual Florida Tiny House Music Festival. Um, we're going to have multiple music stages throughout the weekend. Um, so we have multiple bands playing at different times through from multiple stages. Um, uh, and we're going to put a lot of emphasis on, we're still having speakers and workshops and everything, but we're going to be putting a lot of emphasis on the music side of the event and the entertainment side for our Florida event. And then in December, we're doing something we've never done before. We're going to do an extra event at the end of the year in December. We are partnering and collaborating with um, uh, Amy in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, LCEF. Um, they've been around since 2017. What they do is they started off helping musicians and artists get back into Louisiana after the storms, you know, um, you know, uh, 10, 12 years ago. And now they're really big on just on providing housing and, 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 and helping a homeless artist. And because, you know, New Orleans economy, a lot of it's based around artists and musicians. And so it's really big to keep those folks uh, there and uh, sustained and having places to live. And so we're doing the Louisiana Tiny House Festival uh, December 7th through 9th in New Orleans. Um, yeah, we're going to have like the uh, the big easy of tiny houses and, um, you know, like uh, maybe uh, we're thinking about getting red lights for all the tiny houses so nice. they can put them on their doorsteps, nice. you know, go something like that. Yeah. So, so we're going to have a lot of fun. John and Finn, thank you so much for being guests on the show. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for letting me just do most of the talking. Finn's just sitting here like, la da 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 da. You can find the show notes from today's episode at thetinyhouse.net slash John and Finn. That's thetinyhouse.net slash J O H N A N D F I N. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, please consider sharing the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast with someone in your life who you think needs this show, somebody who's interested in tiny houses right along with you. If every one of you shared the show with somebody that you cared about, we could double our subscriber base, and that would be just huge for us. And if you already have subscribed and you've already shared the show, then take a moment to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Everything that you do to help spread the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcasts helps us continue to make great shows. Well, that's all. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.